0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andre Matysak, and I work as the deputy head of foreign desk in Slovak Davy Pravda, which, by the way, means truth, and it is not Russian Pravda. From April 4th, Finland is officially the 31st member of NATO. What does it mean for the country, for the alliance, and for Russia? What are the pros and possible cons of Finland's membership? And why is Sweden still out? I talked to Charlie Sorenius Pasternak, a leading researcher in the Center on U.S. Politics and Power at the Finnish Institute of International Affairs. I also asked him what he thinks about the idea that Finnish Prime Minister Sanna Marin can become the next Secretary-General of NATO. Listen to our conversation. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, see also a description of this episode. And now, up to the new debate. Charlie, let me start with a little bit of a light-hearted question. Did you celebrate the entry of your country into NATO? Well, I think mentally I did. In practice, I had I don't
1: remember anywhere, maybe twelve, fifteen interviews. So I thought better that maybe I'll save now till Eastern have a have a glass or two of bubbly. But mentally certainly and talked with many people who said that oddly maybe they did feel somehow safer the next morning when they woke up. So I, I would say overall lots of people did celebrate. What about you? Do you feel safer? It's hard because I do this as a job. So I've been kind of very much in a bubble on this. I guess so from the perspective that, you know, a week ago, had there been some military crisis, I am certain that not only Finland's neighbors, Estonia, Norway, Sweden would have come and assisted, but also US, UK, France, all of whom gave different these security assurances, and we've had close cooperation. But of course, there's a difference as we've all acknowledged in the level of deterrence, because that's, I think, it's, it's something that I've been highlighting in many of my interviews in Finland is that none of us want a war, of course. I mean, you just have to look at what Ukraine is going through. So the real value isn't the deterrence and deterrence strengthening and increasing, which is almost invisible because if it worked, then nothing bad happens. So I guess that is how I've approached it, that the deterrence uh, level has increased significantly
0: for Finland vis-a-vis Russia in the last, you know, 48, 72 hours. Let's look at the process that was quite quick and maybe not that fast. Finland and Sweden applied for NATO membership in May last year. Finland is in, but Sweden is out as Turkey and Hungary are blocking Stockholm for now. What does it tell us about the alliance? It seems that the member states are not shy to prioritize their own interests over the questions of strategic importance. Is this a weakness of NATO, or is it simply what it is, and we cannot do much about it?
1: I think the, the last comment, this is simply how it is, and it's something to be kind of accepted, goes to the kind of the heart of it. It's the alliance is structured and, and founded on this basis and it is this need for consensus or unanimity which is also at the heart of it in the sense that a small country can't then be forced to participate in a war it doesn't want to you know take you know iraq war in 2003 or something like that where where of course many nato members participated but many did not it's simply part of how it is structured that said certainly this raised some questions as to nato's open-door policy which is why i suspect Secretary General stoltenberg so off during this week has talked about how nato and finland showed that the door is open even if vladimir putin tried to shut it and and so on to emphasize this open-door policy because what we had seen as you as you implied most of nato the great majority wanted to see finland and sweden members before last year's Madrid summit, basically, or at the very least during the summer or so. And then Hungary and Turkey did what they did. Is it disappointed from a Finnish perspective where Hungary and Turkey for different, I'll call them linguistic and other reasons, probably in some ways are closer as countries than some other NATO member countries. So I think there was a disappointment from Finland's perspective, but probably also a lesson that this is simply how NATO works. And I'll say a last kind of example, which again points to this is how things work and you have to be quite pragmatic and realistic in this. There are issues over the years, but including in the last year where Finland's and Sweden's and um, NATO's cooperation has gotten deeper and deeper, where, for instance, regarding land forces, Finland actually is kind of in the same group, as it were, with Turkey and a few others. So in reality... The alliance is such that you have to realize what are your key interests and who do you have to cooperate with to ensure that they're kind of realized. All of this said, what I don't think is under doubt is that if you're a member of NATO, The alliance will react in a large military crisis or war, and individual members will react. They will probably react faster than the entire alliance. But the idea that somehow the credibility of
0: Article 5 would have now been questioned by this process, that I don't completely buy. Do you think that Sweden will also join by July when NATO summit takes place in Vilnius?
1: I certainly hope so, and Sweden should. I mean, Finland and Sweden are... Different countries have different geographic positions, have different militaries, but both fulfill all of NATO's criteria easily. So there should have been no question about this. There isn't a requirement to be a NATO member that you have a law against, you know, Quran or holy book burnings, which is what Turkey most recently has said should be kind of there. Let's see. If you look at this situation, Finland had last spring checked from all of the then NATO members if Finnish applications would be received positively. And everyone, including Hungary and Turkey, said yes. What made it more complex, apparently, was kind of having to ac- accept Finland and Sweden at the same time. And we saw kind of the paths diverge or split. But you also saw that in Turkey, Finland and Sweden were treated slightly differently. There were a number of kind of political satire cartoons about Turkey and Erdogan, which didn't cause any problems, apparently. I'm sure the Turkish embassy here saw them. I'm sure the Turks were made aware of them. But they weren't brought up in the same way as certain issues in Sweden. That's, that is disappointing, of course, but um, all this said... It's really hard to tell. I think much changed in Turkey's domestic political dynamics with the earthquake. Rightly so, may I add. I understand why most Turks no longer really care about, you know, a Quran burning or a protest on Erdogan in Sweden versus the reality of the earthquakes. Will Sweden be a member? As I said, I hope so. Sweden deserves to be. Some will probably de- depend on the Turkish elections. One, does power change? Does it change quickly? If it does change, is there a long kind of gap? Those, Im- I imagine, will have to do. But I have to say, end with this. Of course, Turkey and Hungary could instantly just decide that, you know what? Alliance security, including Hungary's and Turkey's, is best served with Sweden being a member and today or tomorrow, say, yes, we, you know, we're, we're fine with it. There's no structural strategic reason for either Turkey or Hungary of opposing Swedish membership. So, but uh, who knows? The only thing I can say is I hope it does not get dragged out um, so that we would ha- be having a conversation about is Sweden going to join or not in a few years.
0: Yeah, hopefully it won't last that long. But Shahri, can we sort it out briefly? Finland's membership? Let's try to put it into, let's say, two baskets. What are, from your perspective, what are the main pros of Finland's being in NATO? And what about cons? Sure. And of course, I will first say that
1: many of these have come up in Finnish discussion. And I'm really glad that there are many different voices in society. It's also why I'm glad that when Finnish parliament voted for NATO membership, it wasn't 200, zero, that there were people opposing it, because that's to me says that kind of society and democracy is healthy one concern which is probably the con side that has been expressed is you know how will russia react militarily economically energy wise well we really haven't seen anything yes there was a brief denial of services attack in finland's parliament but you know considering all of the other things that could have happened that's really kind of nothing in fact so there was concern about russia's reaction Russia, of course, changed its rhetoric already last spring when Finland had applied for membership By saying that, okay, well, actually, Finnish NATO membership is okay. It's how Finland behaves as a NATO member that makes a difference. Now, do I expect Finland to radically change its approach to Russia? That will still remain a neighbor. No, Finland's not going to become radically more aggressive against Russia or anything like that. The border guard just confirmed the other day that they communicate with their Russian counterparts just as they have before. Of course, there's much less tourism and trade because of rightful EU sanctions. But one day, I expect there again to be more exchange and tourism, because this is what happens across the world between borders. There's simply more, there are more relationships with your neighbors. So it's really up to Russia if Finland's and Russia's relationship fundamentally changes or it becomes more aggressive. That said, on the military side, it is quite clear that Finland's relationship will become more deterrence-focused there will be more language about deterring russia avoiding a war as I said earlier really it's it's up to russia if the relationship changes markedly negatively finland as a member of nato is not going to dramatically change uh, so that's been probably the key thing then another one which is brought up in discussion is that you know finland could now be a target of russian nuclear weapons which is something that some russian politicians have said well yes but we already know from archives that during the Cold War, the Soviet Union was perfectly ready and was planning on using nuclear weapons against neutral Finland. It's also quite clear that over the past decades, with Finland's cooperation, individual NATO countries as well as NATO, Russia clearly knew if there was a war, you know, which side Finland was going to fight on. And undoubtedly, Finland could have been a target of nuclear weapons already then. It's a, it's a rhetorical trick in a way to suggest that only Finland rhetorical trick from Russia's side that only would finish NATO membership Somehow Russia would think of using nuclear weapons. So those are two, I think, ones that have come up often, because all the ones about, you know, Finnish teenage boys and girls being sent to fight oil wars somewhere we know those are not true it, it's not how it works and also finland's not going to have to buy specific weapons that nato says it does it, it has to buy interoperable and and things like that but not specific weapon systems some have said well oh, this would be the last con part is finland is expected to spend the floor of two percent of gdp on defense uh, which it does at the moment mainly because of this f-35 fire acquisition now so there's a question of what to do in the future and here i think it'll be a matter of politics in some way what you count as defense spending nato has lists They're slightly different from what Finland considers defense spending. When you add NATO's list to Finland's, it actually goes up by a little bit compared to the official Finnish defense budget. And of course, then there's an argument that Finnish politicians may have to make, which is, look, we provide for Finnish and NATO defense efficiently by having this national military service and large reserves. And because we have that and not a standing all-volunteer force of 280,000 or some soldiers, we don't have to spend as much. It's a very dangerous argument to make in some ways. It's not one you can make to uh, Donald Trump very easily if he became the U.S. president again. But it's it's probably a discussion that is being had everywhere in Europe of how much do you spend on defense versus school and healthcare and so on. Right. Long answer on the potential cons, because the positives, I think, are in some ways easier to see. And they're also if everything goes right, in a way invisible. And by this, I mean exactly the deterrence value has increased significantly. And that goes to avoiding having a war in the first place, which is much cheaper than having a war, Uh, much safer and better for societies. Then there's the, if deterrence fails, Finland will never again fight alone, which if you send anything about Finland's history is a key national trauma. It's not always been true. It's a little bit mythical, but it is a key national trauma. So the idea of not having to fight alone is viewed as a great benefit and one that I think every reservist that I know and cadre soldier has brought up in the last few days. So I think those are the two key benefits to Finland. Now then to NATO, which is maybe a third basket bit related
0: to the pros. Yeah, that's a good point. What about NATO?
1: Make it possible to for all of NATO to reconceive how Northern European defense is done, and in fact, make it easier to defend NATO members that have existed, you know, previous to Finland joining, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, uh, maybe even to some degree, Poland, Norway. So it'll just be easier to plan the defense, genuinely plan it, not just exchange information and, and discuss things. So that I think is a benefit from nato from a defense point of view and then finally from a i'll call a global political stratcom point of view with finland and sweden clearly two you know well-functioning societies liberal democracies probably an example to say yes you can belong to a collective defense family And still have what we would view as a good functioning society that doesn't have to be overly militarized, but takes care of defense also and contributes to it. And maybe then on what I'll call softer but important issues like human rights or autonomous weapon systems, Finland's and Sweden's voice will contribute to those in NATO already that say we must discuss these. As humanity and as NATO. So I think there are a number of contributions to the alliance, both military and political, that Finland will and hopefully very soon Sweden also make.
0: You mentioned defence acquisitions, like Finland is buying a lot of F thirty fives. But what's next? How will Finland spend defence money? We would modernize the navy, what kind of capabilities will become priority?
1: Certainly. I mean, often those things, you know, having said to buy F 35s instead of our Hornets, artillery, large reserve, et cetera, are mentioned. And their core, the key to understand, I think, for other countries that, I don't say might want to emulate it, but if they feel like there's something they could learn, is that none of this was developed kind of. It's not one decision or, or one government strategy or anything. It is a decades long process of developing a defense system. Not just defense forces that has people and training and equipment, but a defense system so that when decisions are made to acquire an individual piece of equipment, even an F-35, it needs to fit into Finland's overall defense system and planning, the future NATO's also. And with this, what you get is, yes, now is kind of the Air Force's decade broadly they're not always decades but then there's also the navies is coming there's a new class the squadron 2020 class uh called Pohjanmaa, which will be the biggest ship the finnish navy has had and highly capable it's called a corvette but it's really a small frigate made for the baltic sea with you know mine laying serious air, anti-air anti-ship It can also function in ice, which is quite unique, et cetera. So the Navy will get it. And the next decade, the 2030s, is when the Finnish Army's current larger land force systems are getting to the end of their service life. But that has already been planned in. The budget has been planned so that there's never a situation where everything becomes old at the same time. And while this is occurring, I mean, just yesterday, the Finnish uh, Defense Forces or ministry formally announced that... It had selected an Israeli high altitude defense system. It was the one key weakness in Finland's air defense network was truly high altitude defense up to 10, 15 kilometers, things like that. And uh, we had fighters yes, but not missiles. And Finland chose uh, the Israelis David Sling for 320 million, I think, euros with an option for like 250 million more, something like that. So a significant procurement. So these will just continue and continue based on this longer term plan. And one last on the planning, of course, there's flexibility. There are changes the Finnish military has made in what it's going to buy and what the kind of order of what it's going to buy when based on some lessons from the war in Ukraine already. So it's it's give some long-term stability but it has short-term flexibility and this is i think the key is how it's done not any particular kind of equipment Uh, will it always be over two percent I don't know. I mean, sometimes the UK, for instance, has been under 2% because its economy has grown all of a sudden very quickly and its defense budget has grown less quickly or something like that. So, But w- that which I can say is there is no possible situation where Finland, either the politicians or the population would say, now that we're NATO, we no longer need to continue investing in our defense. That is simply not possible.
0: As you said, we will see how Russia will behave towards NATO and Finland. And from my point of view, it's interesting having Finland in because I think that Finland is bringing to NATO understanding of Russia, but also kind of cool-headedness about Russia. Finland can be firm on Russia, but as you mentioned, definitely not overly aggressive. But still, NATO now has a longer border with Russia. So how will it change NATO's defense planning, taking into account also the fact that Sweden will also join? It'll be... I'll quickly address
1: Sweden. Sweden is likely to be, you know, some say that well, it'll be kind of NATO's logistics hub because of its geographic location. Yes, likely more so than Finland, of course, because Finland's kind of the at the end. But this really undervalues kind of Sweden's contribution in anything from daily ongoing intelligence gathering, its ability through its navy while it's much smaller than it probably wants to be or. Should be is highly capable and able to control large parts of the Baltic Sea. Finland and Sweden and Denmark and Norway just announced the other week that the Air Force's goal is to operate it effectively as one fleet. So there'll be different Air Forces, but operationally, the planning would be as if one Air Force. This would not have been possible without NATO membership. It will make the Nordics, I will argue, the strongest Air Force in Europe, stronger than. Germany's, France's, or the UK's. Now, the UK has a slightly different footprint than UK and France. Of course, there's also nuclear elements overall involved in their force structure. But the Nordics will have a very strong air force, which contributes in many ways, because it also means that said UK or US does not immediately need to bring in their own forces in a crisis or war. So A lot of escalation management can be done within the region. This does bring up one thing you mentioned, what could be done short or medium term. Rather than sending, you know, an EFP battalion to Finland, the option should be there. Finland or NATO should never say we will not do this because we know Russia is going to use that in its propaganda later on. It should be a possibility or even bigger units. But repositioning material, even just you know, anti-aircraft missiles or air-to-air missiles, air-to-ground missiles, which can then be used by any NATO member in the region. That, I would imagine, would be quite cost-efficient and effective from NATO's perspective to do. Planning otherwise is, is ongoing. And again, I think that's the difference. There doesn't have to now be a, well, we're pretty sure Finland and Sweden would fight with us or try to stay out of the war, but we're going to have these grey areas over large parts of Northern Europe now we don't have to do that we can also plan estonia's northern defense in a completely different way finland's long-range strike capabilities can help to defend northeastern estonia from finland you don't actually need to move finnish forces to estonia Finnish long-range artillery can just take care of it from finland so there's lots of options that nato now gets one thing which I do have to say about exactly the relationship between then Finland and Russia and NATO is it'll be interesting to see how Finland changes its strategic communication. Much has already happened in the last year. I mean, now it is acknowledged publicly that, of course, we're working to deter Russia up to you know, last year, it was always this kind of fictional potential aggressor who happened to remind the soldiers of Russian units, but wasn't actually. So there's going to be some changes there. Politically, we've already seen changes. If you look at how the Finnish prime minister president have talked about Russia. But it'll be interesting to see how kind of Finland changes its communications and how it also, in a way, may force NATO to change some parts of its communication uh, together with, say, Norway, for instance. So that'll be in the future
0: has started our conversation with a bit of a lighthearted question, so maybe to wrap it up, I will have another one. Do you think that Finnish Prime Minister Sanomarin can become the next Secretary General of NATO?
1: Well, I think uh, isn't it a NATO rule that it has to be a, a Northern Social Democrat Prime ex Prime Minister? Uh, no. It has come up here, of course, with Sanna Marin's announcement that she doesn't want to continue as head of the um, Social Democratic Party and so on. I think, honestly, having Finland just having joined, there's a lot of NATO politics that probably needs to be learned before that. Then uh, jokingly, I heard someone say that while Finland always wants to present itself as a Nordic country, now that many in NATO, quite reasonably, I would say, say that it's time for a NATO secretary general from the newer member states from Eastern Europe. Uh, that uh, all of a sudden Finland would become part of this Eastern Europe bloc. But uh, no, uh, I think it's come up simply because the position we know is open. And again, there's these political similarities, perhaps. I I don't think so. Is it absolutely impossible in a situation where the large member countries again cannot agree and uh, some older eastern european nato countries can't get their candidates but they think sanna Marin would be better than you know a, a german or some other candidate yes of course it's possible but i just don't see it as being likely and i don't actually even know if she would want it it would not be surprising that she wants a higher profile international job i just don't know if she wants to be NATO secretary general rather than some other position. But it'll certainly be interesting for NATO to see who gets selected because that Secretary General is going to have to deal with a different relationship with Russia. It's going to have to figure out what is Europe's security architecture vis-a-vis Ukraine, for instance. What is NATO's potential role there and Ukraine's NATO... Member aspirations, it may have to deal again with a President Trump from the United States, etc. So the new Secretary General certainly has, I won't say easier or harder, but a whole different load of
0: challenges
1: than a NATO secretary General 10 or 20 years ago did.
0: This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, and on the other platforms. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on coffee. For the link, see also a description of this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned.